0: Uh, good morning. We are in the middle of our sermon series, or actually probably in the last quarter or so, uh, getting close to that at least, as we're going through 1st and 2nd Samuel. Uh, and, and it's been a lot of fun. We've been looking at lessons from leaders, both good leaders and bad leaders. What have they done well? What have they done poorly? How can we apply those to our lives? Because in some ways, we are all leaders. You may say, hey, Mark, I am not a leader. I just go to work. I get my job done and I come home. I'm telling you, you are leading in your home. You are leading in your neighborhood. You are leading anywhere that you can volunteer. You are leading. We are all leaders in some aspect. And I think that there's lessons we can learn from God's word about being good leaders. And so this has been kind of a long sermon series, but we are really enjoying it. And I hope you guys are too. Looking at different people. Throughout these stories and how they led and how we can do a better job ourselves in leading. And so, uh, just a reminder, uh, kind of from where we came from last week, we talked about in, in first or second Samuel chapter seven, we talked about the Davidic covenant. Now, this was a covenant that God made with David that had a lot of application and prophetic uh, parts of it towards Christ coming and ultimately would affect us as believers, anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So it's a really cool chapter. If you missed last week, you could hop online this week and watch Pastor Ke- uh, Kevin from the other campus preach it. Uh, it's there and you'd be able to kind of catch up that way because it's a pretty important chapter. There are a lot of theological uh, uh, professors and, and those theologians that think that 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible because it speaks of Jesus Christ's coming. And it's kind of that heavy theological, and we tried to unpack it a little bit uh, so that you could see it and see that some of the things that were said had to do with David, some had to do with Jesus, some had to do with both, and how that plays out. But the promises that were given to David were so important. And so this week, coming out of chapter 7, we're going to attack three smaller stories. Uh, and, and, and and it's going to be chapters 8 through 10. They are shorter. I'm going to start out by reading through them, and then we'll kind of look at each story uh, at the end. I'm going to read through one story and then talk about it. But it's going to talk about what happened to David After the Davidic covenant was given, right? After God had said, I'm going to bless you, your family's going to continue on, those sorts of things. And we're going to see that David is going to be a successful king here for a while. He's going to subdue his enemies and establish Israel in the land that was promised by God, right? So that's a good thing. Then we're going to see this story in the middle chapter there, chapter 9, that David's going to care for a man named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is the last son of King Saul. But we'll get there in a minute. Uh, And then in the third chapter, chapter 10, we're going to see that David continues on to help defend Israel as the king uh, and, and making sure that everybody is safe there, defeating his enemies and moving forward under the hand of God, the blessings that are upon David. So that's what we're going to kind of look at today. And, and this will show that the faithful leader, where David is today in his life, the faithful leader lives by faith right? The faithful leader lives by faith. These promises given to David were not all necessarily done right at that moment. This is God saying, this is what's going to happen. And David in faith goes, I believe that. I'm going to move forward in that. And man, is that not applicable to our lives, right? We have so many truths given to us in scripture that don't necessarily feel Like they're coming true right this second where we're at in our lives. And yet we are called to be like David, uh, a person who lives in faith and move forward in that. And a faithful leader, if they're living in faith, will also see that the faithful leader leads in faith. So again, we're looking for things that are applicable to our lives as leaders. As we move forward in our lives, how can we lead? And today we want to see that the faithful leader will lead in faith. So we're going to look at these little mini stories in David's reign and we're going to see something though. From what we've studied already, if you've been with us for any amount of time through 1st and 2nd Samuel, we already know that it has been a pretty rough life being an Israelite. Right. Would you agree with me? I mean, they've they've had a lot of trouble throughout these years after they left Egypt trying to get to the promised land. This was an embattled nation. So many enemies coming at them. It was tough. Right. And, And in some ways, we can't even come close to relating to what they were going through, right? This is a completely different time, and, I mean, this is way back, and, I mean, it just, it was crazy. Think about all the things that they didn't have that we have now these days. It was so different, Pastor Mark. It's just, it's hard for me to even, you know, kind of connect with that. And yet, in some ways, I think that you and I as believers can. We can kind of connect with some of these things and the trials, the tribulations the troubles that were going on in their lives being a believer today is hard if you're a believer who's willing to stand up for your beliefs society is kind of tough on us sometimes right and, and and it seems like every time that we turn society is now accepting something new that's against what god has called us to be or who god has called us to be and how we should live um, the, the the society we're in right now has become completely uh, open to the idea of accepting everyone for where they're at, who they are, what they want to be, how they want to live, except biblical Christianity. So a lot of times, the the principles that we're learning that we would we would view as godly and best not only for our families but also for our communities as a society at large is looked down upon, right? And so there's, there is a little bit of a battle going on. It doesn't mean we should throw up the white flag and quit. It doesn't mean that we should run away. It just means we need to be a people who are ready, To live in a way that God has called us to live, no matter what the cost might be. And in these stories, David is portrayed as a faithful leader who led his people in how to live by faith. You and I need to look to God's word so that we can learn how to live by faith. And obviously, throughout 1st and 2nd Samuel, especially here now, as we're going into 2nd Samuel, there are some wonderful things that we can learn about David, from David, about being faithful leaders. I think that, the, the this difficult Christian life becomes a lot more manageable, right? It, it's something that we're able to understand and kind of move forward in when we have leaders who are leading us in faith. So a lot of times Pastor Kevin and I, Pastor Bruyer, Pastor Dave, whoever we're we're, we're going to look to godly leaders who are alive today or maybe who have recently passed and what they've said and how they've led in certain ways. And we want to lean into those and, and and apply a lot of the things that they have done and that they have said and, and that encourages us and gives us strength to kind of move forward and be leaders in faith. You guys diving into God's word on your own, reading good books, listening to good speakers, praying, asking for Holy Spirit to move in your lives, will become the leaders that will lead your family, your community, and at your workplace. You can become that leader in faith. And each one of us can. And so I think as we look at David's life, we have to understand how applicable it is to us. I know that I want to be that kind of leader. I want to be a kind of leader that leads in faith. I want the things that I do and that I say to be grounded in God's word. And, and I want to lead it in a way that it inspires faith in my friends, in the community that I'm in. And that points towards God. Not that somehow I figured this out and I'm a great leader, follow me. No, as I humbly try to follow God, come along with me. Right, that's That would be my goal and my hope and my prayer. And I know that Pastor Kevin and I, as we prepared this week, we kept praying that. Faithful leaders lead in faith. So let's dive into the story. Like I said, we're going to read through the chapter, kind of look at what, what's going on in this situation, and see how David responded in these situations. Starting in chapter 8, verse 1. After this, uh, and we'll get to that in a second, but the, this is obviously chapter seven, the Davidic covenant that came from God. But after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Mephagama out of the hand of the Philistines. And he defeated Moab and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground, two lines he measured to be put to death and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadad-Ezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And as uh, as he went to restore his power at the river, Euphrates and David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariots' horses, but left enough for hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help out hadad Ezer, king of Zoba, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Important verse there. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadad Ezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betah and from Berothi, Cities of Hadad-Ezer, the king took very much bronze. When Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadad-Ezer, Toi sent his son, Jerome, to King David to ask about his health and to bless him, because he had fought against Hadad-Ezer and defeated him. For Hadad-Ezer had often been at war with Toy. And Jerome brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord together with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations he subdued. From Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadad-Ezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. And he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all of Israel and David administered justice and equality or equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruai, was over the army. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahil- Ahililid, was recorder. And Zadak was the son of Ahitub and Ahimelech. And the son of Abiathar were priests of Zarei was secretary. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over all the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. Okay, so we see here, let's see here, sorry about that, we see here that David spent a lot of time finishing off Battles and fighting with neighboring communities that that had not been totally defeated, right? And this this section of of, of scripture, when written and then read by an Israelite, would have been really important. What they were seeing here was Israel entering into a season of life where God provided what he had promised, which was this rest. And David led them there. Now, it was costly. There were battles. There was there was fighting. And yet God's faithfulness multiple times as the author was writing this account, it showed that God had delivered these people into the hand of David. So last week, as we examined the Davidic covenant, in which God made all these amazing promises to David, he promised that the promised land would indeed be finally possessed by Israel. This is what it took. Chapter 8, coming out of chapter 7, right? It said, and this, this is what happened. This is how it all came about. After this. Is how it started. Remember, and God made these promises, and then God fulfilled them, and He fulfilled them through David. The promises that were given were uh, came true through David by the power of God. A couple things to point out. Notice all the names on that last slide. David utilized a team. When we saw on that last slide all those names, those were people that were helping him out accomplish what God had called him to do. And so if you're taking notes today, the first point that I put down was the faithful leader builds and utilizes his team. If you want to be a faithful leader, a good leader that God can use, build a team around you. Right? If I want to multiply, or if I want to be a faithful leader here at the church, my goal should be to multiply leadership in this community, in this church body community. I don't need to do it all myself. Pastor Dave doesn't need to do it all himself. We need to help people fulfill what they are called to do by God, right? through the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and they have placed faith in God, and God has called them to do great things. And we need to build that sort of team around us. We want to multiply ourselves. So as my faith continues to grow, I want to be able to instill that faith in others. I want other people to grow along with me, uh, and my prayer would be that it would surpass surpass me, right? Because the work that you can do in your family is greater than the work that I can do in your family. The work that you can do in your neighborhood is different than mine. I live on a different block than you here in DuPont, right? And in your workplace, I don't go to your workplace. So you need to be that kind of faith-filled leader that's willing to make a change. I think that's who you've been called to be, and that's who we need to desire to be. And so as we all grow in our leadership and become more like Jesus Christ in the way that we treat people, and the way that we lead people, the growth, not only in ourselves, but potentially in our community, is exponential. David and I can't do it all. We need people to come alongside us. The faithful leader's courageous faith should be contagious. I've had people who have led me in my life, and those people I want to follow. I want to learn from. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to grow to become like them. And when they share a place maybe that they've struggled or, or, or things that they've done in the past that they don't want to do again, and, and we can learn from those things and move forward, and hopefully we're not making the same mistake. I know parenting, uh, we had four kids, uh, and and they were all within about six years of each other. And my youngest now is going to be 20 this month, so we are we are now parenting adult children. Well, when they were in junior high and high school, especially, a lot of times Gwen and I would sit down and have conversations with them about things that we had done and failed in so that they wouldn't fail the same way that we had. Instead of trying to hide what we had potentially done in the past so that our kids would think we were perfect, Gwen and I humbly went to him and said, Hey, this is an area we screwed up in, or this is how we, you know, treated teachers, or this is how we treated, uh, you know, people in our classes, or this is how we treated our parents, that we could have done it a little bit different, a little bit better, a little more God honoring. And we laid that out there because We, as we were leading our children, wanted them to grow past where we were and be better than we were, right? And and that's got to be our goal and everything. As we grow, I want you guys to grow along with me, and some of you, I pray, and maybe already have, will surpass me in kingdom work. And I don't get upset about that. I don't get worried about that. I just want to continue. Some of you are inspiring me to be who I am today. Praise God. Kingdom work. We're in this together. Do we believe that? Do we live like that? We all need that. May it be true of all of us who lead. That's been my prayer this week as I've been prepping this sermon, I've been praying for you guys, the people that God was going to bring here today to sit in front of, of God's word, to be spoken, to be preached this morning, that you would hear from the Holy spirit, that this isn't just Mark's insight to second Samuel eight, but this is what God is calling us to be a great leader. The faithful leader leads in faith. Secondly, repeated twice in the section, verse six and 14 is the phrase, and the Lord gave victory to David whenever or wherever he went. I kind of pointed that out briefly, just like, hey, that's a great verse. Both times when we went over it, but God had made a covenant with David and he was the one who gave the victory. This chapter makes that clear, right? And that's beautiful, Nobody here can be sitting here today going, man, David was pretty incredible. I sure would have loved to learn how he did battles, you know? Like, God called him to do things, and he just did it. He did it in faith, and God blessed him, and God gave him the victory. David had to walk out in obedient faith. You and I are being called today to walk out in obedient faith. Christianity is not passive. We are called to action, Appropriate, God-honoring, Christ-like action. Each one of us. We shouldn't just be sitting back. We need to move forward. David said that he could pray courageous prayers because of God's promises. We need to walk a courageous faith because of the promises given to us, right? He walked in faith. We can walk in faith. This is the call to faithful leaders today. And I think each one of you who are sitting out there today are that faithful leader. The faithful leader leads in courage. Not in the things that we've accomplished on our own, but because of what God can do through us. That should give us courage. That should give us a faith that causes us to move forward. And again, when we accomplish something incredible, we give glory and honor to God. And we move forward, right? That's what we need. That's what our children need to see. That's what our community needs to see. That's what our coworkers need to see. In David's time, God's people followed him in the pursuit of peace and rest in the land that was promised by God, right? And they moved forward in that because of the leadership of David. They saw an example of David moving forward, believing what God had said. You and I, what are we called to today, right? It's not a trick question. Matthew 28, we are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Matthew 28, go and spread the gospel to the four corners of the world, right? You and I should be in the pursuit of souls, okay? So whether it's our family, our kids, right? Our close neighbors, our neighborhood, here in the church, in kids ministry, maybe down at youth group in the middle of the week, in your community group. You have people who are coming that are not believers yet, right? They're pre-Christian. They're trying to figure out this thing. You are called to help them come to Jesus Christ, right? We're in the pursuit of souls. It's different for sure, right? But it's still a battle. It's a war, right? Right? And this is evident when we read the New Testament. A lot of you are like, okay, hey, we've been in the Old Testament a long time, lots of stories. I'm ready to get back to the New Testament where I can learn. Okay. Well, the New Testament author, Paul, right? We all know Paul. He wrote a ton of stuff. His favorite language that he liked to use when he wrote was military language, right? To inspire you and I to engage in a spiritual battle. And a lot of that is prayer. But that's not where it sto- uh, stops, right? When, we're, when we want someone to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, a friend of ours, our child, maybe our spouse or another family member, we can't just pray. Now, we need to pray. Paul would tell you, you need to pray. But you also be, need, need to be willing to use words and tell them about Jesus Christ. And a lot of us, I think, are, are have just kind of gotten to the place where we're like, I'll pray for people. I'll pray for the missionaries. I'll pray that somebody will come across their path and will share the good news with them. And yet you and I have been called to engage in that battle, right? It's a spiritual battle. You and I. More than once, instead of just addressing his readers, this is Paul, as fellow believers, which he did, he called us fellow soldiers. We are soldiers following a commander in chief with the purpose of engaging people about their lostness, where their soul will spend eternity. For many of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, one of the reasons that it was probably given to you is, hey, when you die, do you know where you're going to spend eternity, right? Are you going to spend eternity separated from God or do you want to spend eternity with God? right? There's a battle that's going on for those people's soul. If you believe that and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, for the forgiveness of sin, because of that reason, you need to be sharing that reason with your family and your friends and your neighbors. We're also encouraged to put on the full armor of God. Again, it's a battle. Battle's not against flesh and blood, but again, it's a spiritual battle. When the Galatians begged or began to preach, I should say, a a salvation or, or it was like works based, right? Paul writes them a letter and he says, hey, you've gone AWOL. Again, he uses a military term. You've gone AWOL from the true gospel. You need to get back here, right? And these are just a few of many examples. Some of you are probably sitting out there going, oh, you should have thought of this one or this one or this. Paul used it all the time, right? So friends, let's lead our homes, our community groups, the ministries we're involved in, children's ministry, youth group, community group, whatever it might be. We need to lead in our workplace. Our very lives need to be lived out in a courageous faith. And that, I think, is what we're seeing here by David. David was leading in courageous faith based on the promises of God. Are you and I willing to do that? Do you believe you've been called to do that? I think we have been, and that's why I I want to move forward in that. Just like David wasn't called to just sit and be king, we are not called to sit and watch what God might do to some people that we might know no we 've been called to engage courageously move forward in faith, knowing that god or that god 's promises are given by him, fulfilled by him, and yet he desires to use you and I. The battle is his; he will win. The faithful leader leads in faith. And now as we go into this next section, I I, I want you to kind of think about the words here in verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Picking up in chapter 9, verse 1. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell upon his face and paid homage and David said Mephibosheth and he answered behold i am your servant and David said to him do not fear for i will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and i will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always and he paid homage and said what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog Such as I. Then the king called Zeba Saul's servant and said to him, "All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table." Now Zeba had fifteen sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servants do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived at Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. It's not all about battles and wars when we think about David and his leadership. We've seen that before. He cares about people. He cares about his men. He cares about honoring God in that. And part of what made him such a great leader was that care for people right? You may be great in the spiritual battles even, right? But are you caring for people? I think that's where we see God's word go next here. And we're going to see even more of that in the third episode here in a couple of minutes. But in this case specifically, David shows himself to be a faithful leader by being faithful to his word. A lot of you have been with us as we've studied through first Samuel and into second Samuel. And you remember that David said to Jonathan, I will not cut off your family. I will take care of your descendants, right? Saul went out into battle. Saul and his sons died. I mean, it was a great battle. We read about that. We studied that. Didn't look like there was much left, if anything. But now we find out, here is Mephibosheth, right? He wasn't, Jonathan had been promised by David that he wouldn't cut off that line when he came into power. And here David's like, how can I make, good on my word? Or is there a need for that? Is there anyone left from the house of Saul? David had this incredibly beautiful friendship with Jonathan, right? The kind of friend we all need. We need that close friend, somebody that's closer than a brother, somebody that we can move forward in our faith with, right? And that's what David found in Jonathan. And he remembered, David remembered, I promised my best friend this, I need now that i 'm in power that we 've kind of subdued some of our enemies, I need to find out is there anyone left now Mephibosheth in the, in the story that we just read, we see that he thought of himself as a dead dog, um, and, and with most kings or the way that kingship worked in that day and age, he would have been when a king took office from another king, when he, they would take that place, they would destroy all the family of the previous king, because then there wouldn't be any rightful heir to the throne, right? And so in Mephibosheth's mind, hey, I'm a dead dog, right? You should kill me. He hadn't seen David do that because David hadn't done that, mostly because unfortunately Saul and his sons all died in that great battle, but he would have thought, hey, I am not worth anything because that's what society was telling him, right? Who are you to be kind to me? I am a dead dog, right? Most kings would have killed off that line, and yet David didn't. David recognized that all of his power was given to him by God, and a faithful leader keeps his word, even if there's risk involved. There was a small risk at leaving Mephibosheth alive. There could be some people that say, I'm still faithful to Saul. Can we plan some sort? Or when David makes a mistake, could there be a group that kind of uprises that Mephibosheth should be the king? Let's get David out of there, right? And yet David said, no, I promised Jonathan, my best friend, that I would take care of him. David didn't fear of a revolt or didn't fear man. Instead, he feared God. He knew that he needed to be faithful to God how God led him to be. He faithfully kept his word in this section here. Now, you and I, we need to be people who faithfully keep our word. You and I, when we make tough promises or statements, we need to be people who are willing to put in the energy and the effort to live by those statements, We need to be a people that when people talk about us or think about us, they don't think about us not keeping our word. But they say, yeah, that's a trustworthy person. We need to be truth tellers. We need to be promise keepers. And I think it's so important for one reason. Because we are reflections of God. If we're moving forward telling people about our faith in Jesus Christ... We're trying to point people towards God. They're going to look at you and say, how do you live your life? How do you treat other people? How do you uh, do when you talk to people? Are you a truth teller? Are you a promise keeper? Because that's who God is and that's who his children ought to be. We talk about that often. When we leave here today, will we look a little bit more like Jesus Christ? Because that should be our goal. Not that we've come here and made better friends or new friends. Those things are important. Community is very important. One of the reasons we love to gather together is because of community. But when I leave here today, does my life reflect Jesus Christ a little bit more than it did yesterday? Have I grown? Have I moved forward? Right? Have I developed? Has Holy Spirit called me to live in a different way? Has He grown me so that I look a little bit more like Jesus Christ? Faithful leaders lead in faith, and we see that in David. Another thing just to note really quick, again, we're told here that the fact that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. We see that twice in this chapter. And, and, and uh, we heard about him in chapter 4. When this servant rushed away with him and fell and fell on him. And that's what crippled his feet, right? He was about five years old when his dad, Jonathan, died on Mount Gilboa with his brothers and his father. And that's when this happened. The nurse that was, was running away with him, trying to flee, fell and, and, and dropped, dropped him and fell upon him. And his feet were crippled at that time. So he hadn't been able to walk. So when we look at that, okay, the author talks about it twice. He brings it up twice. He could have just said there was a descendant and they moved on. So why does he bring up this fact? Well, one is I think we see Mephibosheth talk about himself as a dead dog in light of David being the new king, but we also need to remember the society that they lived in back then. People who were lame or crippled or sick were pretty much cast out. They were put out by the city gates or outside of the city gates. Family didn't even really take care of other family. They're like, hey, there's nothing we can do. We got to fend for ourselves. You go over here with all the other lame, with the with the other people who are sick. And, and so society was against him too. He was really unable to do anything for himself. He was a burden to anyone who was willing to try to help him out. They had to provide everything for him. And and so so society back then did not have a place for him. And yet the beauty of this story is, as we read it through, we see that David, the king, the one who's experiencing all this success, who's leading in faith, has a place for him at the table. Man alive, what does that tell us? You and I as believers, what does this story tell us about that? He gives this place of honor, of respect, his table, his family to the grandson of the man who tried to kill him for 25, 30 years. David boldly declares with his words and with his actions that Mephibosheth has great worth. Do you see that in the story? Because it jumped out to me. Mephibosheth had done nothing to receive that sort of honor. And yet, if you and I think about our faith, the faith that we have through Jesus Christ, the power of the cross and his death and that resurrection on the third day, and then he says to you, hey, you give me your sin and your rebellion and, and your unrighteousness, and I'm going to give to you my righteousness so that when you die and you stand before God in heaven, and he says, why should I let you into eternity with me? You can stand there in my righteousness and say, because of Jesus' blood that was shed for me on the cross and that was applied to my sin, right? It's nothing that we do. So this reflection, David here and what he did for Mephibosheth is a picture, right? A picture of what Christ did for all of us. He's elevated us to a place of great worth that we don't deserve, right? Maybe it's easier for me just to just say that I know I don't deserve it, right? And yet he elevates us to that place, Are we called to do such things like this in the New Testament? Of course we are. James, right? One of my favorite authors here. How do we live out our faith? Not how do you become saved, but how do you live out your faith? James is a beautiful book on that. And he tells us to do what? Take care of the orphans. Take care of the widows. Last couple of years with, with Olive Crest, man, these are foster kids. You and I as a church have been called to take care of those people, right? We've been called to take care of the widows and the orphans. Jesus constantly showed the value of women in this society, this patriarchal society that aired to the side of sin, that women were worth not as much as men, Right? I mean, and yet Jesus continued to elevate them. When Jesus shared the good news of what God was going to do, he did it to a Samaritan woman, not even an Israelite, but the enemy and a woman. And that was who he talked to first. Right? He touched the lepers. Right? He healed and spent time with the cripples, making them whole. So we see it in the New Testament. You and I, we can read the New Testament and see that this is God's heart for us. So for you and I today, how can you and I lead in the same way? How can we lead moving forward? What marginalized group or person is God calling you today to faithfully show love to? Now, the the quick answer is to all of them, but you particular, who is God calling you to engage with? faithful leaders minister to the marginalized and each one of you is going to be a faithful leader I know and we are going to lead by serving and ministering to those who need us the most because faithful leaders lead in faith going into the last chapter here we'll finish up quickly chapter 10 after this chapter the king of the Ammonites died and Hanan, the son, reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan, Their Lord, do you think because David has sent his comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards off of each one of them, cut their garments in the middle at their hips, and sent them away. When it was told to David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed, and the king said, remain at Jericho until your beards have grown back in, and then return home. Uh, I'm going to pause right there real quick. We see this stark difference between Mephibosheth's reception of David's grace and Hanan's reception of David's grace, right? This is worth pointing out. Mephibosheth was like, hey, I don't deserve this. And David's like, but I'm going to extend it to you. And he's like, okay. All right. I'm going to move forward in it. Here we see David reaching out to a, a neighboring country in light of the, his, the, the new king's father's death. And yet, because of poor, uh, leadership that, that, uh, that Hanan had built up around him. He believes the worst. And then he embarrasses these servants, right? He cuts off half their beard and he cuts their clothes basically right above the waist and sends them home. Right. And, and, and this was intended to send a strong message. Hey, David, we don't, we don't believe you. We don't trust you. You're not doing what you're saying that you're doing. And and so these men who had gone there had all this shame upon them. Right There's the Torah laws against the cutting of beards, and, and and again, they were without clothes. I mean, there was all kinds of shame that was put on these men. right? These men, if they were to go all the way back into Israel, the people who saw them return, the beards alone, would have known that those fellow citizens, that group of men who had gone to speak to Hanan, were uh, violated. That they had been taken advantage of. That they had been humiliated. So again, we see here, this is what I was getting at. David shows great leadership here. When he hears about what had happened, he sent a message and said, you don't need to come home. Let your beards grow in, right? Stay in Jericho. And then when you come home, you won't be seen in that way here. He allows them to keep their reputations intact. A faithful leader cares for and protects those who he leads. A faithful leader cares for and protects those who he leads. One of the things that I thought about this week is do I protect the reputation of my people, the people who are serving in my church? Am I someone who is zealous about protecting them? As a leader, we should be. For example, when when, I, when a mistake is made, am I personally quick to point out who's at blame so that nobody thinks it was me, right? If something goes wrong on a Sunday morning, do I cast blame on Pastor Dave, right? Do I say it was Pastor Dave that did this and that's why it's kind of went that way or went sideways just to prove it wasn't me? Am I that kind of a person, like, I was thinking that through. One of the things that Pastor Kevin told me years and years ago that he had learned from his mentor is a good leader always gives away credit and accepts the blame. Any credit that comes to something being well done here, am I quick to push that off onto those who are leading around me? Right? And then if something goes wrong, and even if it was Bryce's fault, Sorry, Bryce, I'm just using you as an example. Do I just, do I keep my mouth shut and just take the blame? Right? Or do I say, no, 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 Bryce is over that area. It must have been his fault. Let's, you know, let's go after him. Right? What kind of leader am I? And so I remember when Kevin told me about, about his, his mentor and good friend, Pastor Keith, that under him he had said to him, a good leader gives away the credit. Always look to give it away. Who else helped you in it and then give it to them, right? That's the kind of leader I want to become. And then if something goes wrong, be the first to step up and say, Hey, our bad, we'll take care of that. Let me, let me do that. Let, let me take the blame for that. I need to grow in this area. I need to continue to grow in this area. Maybe you do too. But a faithful leader cares for those he leads. The faithful leader leads in faith. Let's look at the last couple of verses here to close. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, and the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob, and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makkah, with a thousand men and the men of Tob 12,000. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the hosts of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate and the Syrians of Zobah and of Rahab and the men of Tob and Makah were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians had fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together, and Hadad Ezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shobach, the commander of the army of Hadad Ezer at their head. And when it was told to David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. The Syrians fled before Israel and David killed of the Syrians, the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen and wounded Shobak, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when the king, or when all the kings who were servants of Hadad Ezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. So once again, we see here at the end of this chapter, God defending his people. He's coming through for them. Right? How, I also thought this week, how frustrating for David, right? How frustrating this story must have been, or this situation must have been. He was trying to be kind to them. And yet his kindness was misunderstood. It was mistreated. And yet this story, we see that David goes out and, and defends his people and defends God. And God is with him. In the contrast, again, as we're looking at ourselves today, we do spiritual battle, not physical battle. When you and I are misunderstood, when we're uh, maligned or when we're insulted and, and, and we don't get to fight back, how do we respond to that? Do we depend on God even more? Do we lean into God? Do we trust God for protection physically and also of our reputations? Or do we feel that we have to defend ourselves? Are we okay being persecuted for Christ's sake? Can you and I, like Paul, look forward to the persecution that comes by naming the name of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome The world. I remember preaching this the first time. It's not you might have tribulation, right? Place your faith in, in me, right? In God, right? You know what eternity is going to be like and you may have some tough times. No, Jesus says you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. God will make everything right someday. I'm not going to sit up here and promise you an easy life as you follow Jesus Christ that's not promised in scripture god will make everything right someday but until then you and i must embrace the fact that we're going to have troubles we're going to have trials we're going to have full blown tribulation it's going to be hard and we need to use those times to glorify christ the faithful leader should lead in an embracing Persecution. You and I shouldn't run from it. We should depend on God and move forward into it. I know a lot of times when I see potential for persecution, especially for my faith, I think of, am I really being called for this? Maybe I can go about it a different way. Maybe I could go talk to these people who over here, they're friendly. They seem really open to what I might have to say. And yet I know where God wants me to go. I want to be a faithful leader that will lead embracing persecution in my life. And in those who are closest to me, in my family, in my friends, in my church community. We're going to go move forward in the goodness of God. We're going to bring the truth of his love to people. But if there's persecution, we're not going to back down. We're going to move forward in a God-honoring way. That takes a lot of faith. Do you have that kind of faith? Has your faith grown there? We need to become the faithful leaders that lead in faith. So, a couple of quick things. If you were taking notes and you missed a couple, I'm just going to read a couple of the, the highlights of this chapter that I saw. If you didn't, that's fine. Maybe even just close your eyes and listen here. Listen to what God has called you and I to do that we see here in this passage. The faithful leader builds and utilizes his team. Become people who look to grow the people around you, to build a team who will lead with you. The faithful leader leads in courage. No matter what the odds, do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe that God is for you? And are you willing to move forward in courage? The faithful leader keeps his word. Be a woman or a man of God that when you say something, you mean it, and you're willing to do it even if there's a cost to you. The faithful leader ministers to the marginalized. Are you and I willing to go out into society to the people who are overlooked and be a part of their life for no other reason but to love on them the way that God has loved us, to elevate them so they don't feel like they are society's leftovers. The faithful leader cares for and protects those who he leads or she leads. Are we gonna be the kind of people That protect those around us. Are we going to give away credit when things go well? Are we going to take the blame. When things go wrong. And the faithful leader. Should lead in embracing persecution.